This is Nursing Australia, proudly brought to you by APNA, the Australian Primary Healthcare Nurses Association. Hello and welcome back to this very special episode of Nursing Australia. I'm Matthew St. Ledger. I'm here to bring you our second bonus episode brought to you by APNA's Transition to Practice program. As you know, we've been talking about mental health and burnout in these two special eps. And if you haven't listened to the previous episode with Mark Aiken, you may want to give that one a listen as well. Of course, as always, Nurse Australia is available on all your favorite podcast listening platforms. So today we're speaking with Jenny Hoffman. Jenny is a leadership coach and a university lecturer at the University of Western Australia in Perth. She teaches business students as well as other individuals how to be authentic and adaptive leaders. In the following interview, Jenny discusses how a strong sense of identity and investing in self are some of the key ways in which we can look after ourselves to live, ultimately, healthier and happier lives. And at the end of the interview, Jenny will list some important questions and reflections for us to think about. Don't worry about writing them down. There's a worksheet available in the show notes of this episode for you to download. So let's listen to the following interview with Jenny by Nursing Australia's producer, Leith Alexander. Okay, Jenny, well, thank you so much for joining us in this conversation today. Could you first of all just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Thank you so much for having me today. I'm really excited to do this. I guess the best way of describing me is that of a bit of a pracademic, bit of a mouthful that, but I'm a leadership development specialist and I work at the University of Western Australia in the MBA program teaching leadership. And I also have my own consultancy, Blue Helix Consulting, where I consult to organisations on how to really strengthen leadership capacity and capability within their organisations. And I guess thirdly, I am a leadership coach. So I'm really passionate about working with people to unleash their potential and to really lean further into their own personal leadership. Thank you. In thinking about self-care, what's the most important question we should be asking ourselves right now? Well, a good place to start is to actually ask yourself, what does self-care mean to me? Does it feel selfish? Does it feel empowering? Does it actually feel self-nurturing? Because in order to actually prioritize self-care, we need to recognize it as a worthwhile habit to develop. And this is actually really difficult to do if we see it as something that's self-indulgent or selfish or sometimes we just don't see ourselves as being worthy of taking the time to really care for ourselves. The other thing we need to to think about, I guess, is in order to really prioritize self-care, we need to see it as a worthwhile habit to develop. So if we see ourselves as being unworthy or self-care as not being something that's really worthwhile doing, we won't really invest time in doing it. So I usually find that the most common reason that people give me for not investing in self-care is I don't have time. And that's the classic kind of response. So if you're one of those people who say to yourselves, I don't have the time, it's usually an indication that this is an area that you really do need to invest in. And it's often a good indication that you do really need some self-care yourself. So when we consistently choose to engage in other activities, 
other than our self-care, then it's really time to explore and to think more about our priorities and what's driving us or sitting behind that tendency to not engage in self-care. Because we really need to be willing to practice self-care and then we need to develop the habits that actually allow that to happen. It won't happen by itself. It's got to be something that we deliberately do or in some instances refrain from doing with our own well-being in mind. So well-being is anything that includes or promotes our physical, emotional, psychological, even spiritual well-being. I was just wondering what are some barriers to self-care? You mentioned already that maybe some people don't have time or they see it as a bit self-indulgent. Are there any other barriers to self-care that you're aware of? Oh gosh, there are quite a number and it's why we often neglect to do it. I think another challenge is immediate gratification is not always something that comes along with self-care. And so it can be difficult to engage in activities that don't give you those immediate rewards. We can get that short-term benefit from a single act of self-care, but it's really making it part of our habitual behavior. That's where we get the biggest benefit, but that of course takes time and it takes investment. So we'll only get those long-term benefits once we develop that habit of self-care on an ongoing basis. So practicing self-care really requires us to do something every day that we would otherwise spend doing something else or spend on other people. It's something that we need to start off doing so that we can develop this sort of lifelong pattern of realizing that it's really difficult if we don't treat ourselves with compassion, kindness and care to then do that for other people as well because we just empty ourselves. You actually start to raise the bar as well for how other people care about you. So it it has a huge impact on the kinds of relationships that you engage in as well. Yeah, I think that's really important because you're showing people how you want to be treated and how you believe other people should be treated as well. Yeah, absolutely. So you just spoke a little bit about developing a bit more of a daily habit and that kind of thing. Where else can we start with practicing self-care? Well, you know, practicing self-care doesn't only alleviate our feelings of stress and anxiety, but it also better prepares us for the demands of life, whether that's work, family or something else. We are only able to help those around us when we are taking proper care of ourselves. We're all aware of that analogy of put the oxygen on yourself first before you do it for others, yet we often struggle to do this. When it comes to establishing these habits of self-care, It's really about taking committed action and being very, very deliberate about how you participate in activities. It doesn't actually have to be overly complicated. It's just that planned, intentional aspect that you look at for promoting your well-being. So the key in starting this is to think about what is one small thing that can nudge you closer to developing a self-care habit. Don't try to change too much in one go. 
So what we know about habit change is that we often have this tendency to try to change everything at once. So we try to go from um, someone who perhaps doesn't invest very much in my own self-care to um, someone who invests a lot in my self-care. And we take a, a big bite of that pie, as it were, and then we can't sustain it. So in thinking about how you can just start this process, the first step is to think about setting yourself that conscious, deliberate action or intention. The next thing is, what is that one small thing that you can do? Thinking about, you know, where does self-care or being self-caring fit in with my sense of identity? Because really what you want to do is to make self-care part of who you are and how you see yourself. And then consider selecting something that is what we call a getting better goal. So many of us are familiar with SMART goals, specific, measurable, achievable, timelined goal setting. The problem with that is it kind of comes from the 90s where it's an all or nothing or a black or white. Either we achieve the goal or we don't. So now we really encourage people to choose something really small, take one bite of the pie, and then think about every day, how can you get slightly better at doing what it is that you're doing? So for example, you might say to yourself, I'm just going to focus on eating more healthy snacks. And that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to maybe have one healthy snack per day to replace that chocolate bar or or whatever it is. So it's very, very small. And then perhaps tomorrow I can bring in another healthy snack so that I'm very, very gradually building up to self-care, but in a way that's manageable and in a way that just slowly narrows that gap between where I am now and where I want to be. So aim to practice self-care every day. Then think about what you can do weekly, such as maybe going for a walk on a Sunday afternoon with a friend, if that feels nurturing for you. And then think about, is there something that you can do on a monthly basis, like going out I don't know, going for massage or something like that. And then what can you do on a yearly basis, which for many of us is going on holiday or a retreat or something like that. So you very slowly and incrementally bringing self-care into your life. One of the most powerful researchers into um, habit change is James Clear, who wrote Atomic Habits. And he talks about the compounding effect of just improving 1% per day. Literally just aim for 1% per day. The other thing to think about is there's a lot of myths around habit change. And one of those is that we build new habits in 21 days. Well, it would be wonderful if we could achieve that in 21 days. But it's not actually what the science says. The science says it's more like 66 days. So we have to persevere and keep our focus on who is it that we're trying to be? What is the step towards being our best self? Yeah, that is a long time, 67 days. But I guess it would help if the steps are really small and 
you're getting that sense of achievement mm-hmm. in you know quite regularly and yeah like you say keeping that in mind okay why am I doing this and where do I want to be what's the goal yeah. yeah for sure there's some other little sort of tips that we can pull from the the research on on habit change of which there's so much now and one of those is to use what we call uh, an implementation plan so we focus on the goal but we don't actually figure out enough detail around exactly what's our system for that change. Um, like scheduling in the like, walk, for example. Like scheduling in, but you could go even stronger than that, like when and where. So we call this an implementation plan where we actually say to ourselves, I will go for a walk on Sunday at two o'clock and I'll walk around the local park. So it's very, very specific. And so we're building in cues. Uh, We are very habitual in our behaviors. And if you want to bring in a new habit, you have to build in the cue. So that's why it's so important to say time and place. And then we can do another little trick, which is what we call if-then implementation planning. What happens if it's pouring with rain on Sunday at two o'clock. So an if-then implementation planning process is, if I'm unable to go for a walk, I will do six pull-ups or press-ups. Or... So it's, it's about planning the system for change. And that's where we, we really struggle with habit change because we've got this over-focus on the goal rather than, as I said earlier, about getting better and just striving to be a little bit better every day. Yeah, great. Thank you. I can see how also when you're when you're talking about making sure you have the location and time set yeah. up because otherwise you're going to come to Sunday afternoon and you're like, oh, but I have to make these decisions about like, am I going to go at two or should I go at three and where should I go? I don't know. I'll just leave it. You know, I can just imagine like how much easier it is to abandon plans when you haven't visualized where it's going to be or any of that kind of thing. Absolutely. Okay. So you've given us a lot of self-care tips already, but I was just wondering what some other useful self-care habits to develop could be. I think one of the most important things we can do at the moment is to focus on what we can control because we are living in such a time of disruption and it's really, really easy to get caught up in that sort of rumination and feel our mood sort of starting to dip and worrying about how the pandemic is affecting us, our family, our community. And then, you know, it starts to ripple out to the world. And so I think coming back to the basics of focusing on what can you control We know that Stephen Covey in his fantastic book on the seven habits of highly effective people just makes this big distinction between proactive people who focus on what they can do and what they can influence uh, versus reactive people who really can get sort of sucked down into that sense of victimization and blame, which, and we can all go there at some times. So like just bring it right back to your own life and what it is that you can control right now. I think the other thing that 
is very, very helpful is we can draw on some of the acceptance and commitment therapy theory, which is a they have such a lot of useful strategies that we can use when we experience what's referred to as emotional storms, when we become overwhelmed. We've got to that point where we really need to just drop anchor, come back into ourselves. There's a lovely little strategy called ACE, which stands for acknowledging your thoughts and feelings. So this is where when we do feel depleted and exhausted, is just to really name quietly to yourself with as much kindness and gentleness as you can what it is that you're actually thinking or feeling, the sensations, and just learn to observe with a sense of curiosity what it is that you're thinking and feeling without trying to change it. The acceptance part of this is really around making room for all of the things that we are feeling, whether they're comfortable or uncomfortable, distressing, and just allowing those thoughts and feelings to flow through us without trying to control them. So often in our lives when things are tricky and we're feeling that sense of pain, we try to stop what we're feeling or we try to escape it by, you know, that's when we kind of get involved with some of those substance abuse or other addictive activities. For many of us, it's around sitting on the phone and social media, which of course just makes you feel a lot worse. So the A, the acknowledge your thoughts and feelings is really around surrendering to what actually is, to what you are feeling. So you can then follow that up with the C, which is to come back into your body. So really just kind of ground yourself. And there's a lot of different ways of doing this. You can just focus on the sensation of pushing your feet into the floor or really focus on the feeling of tension in your neck and your shoulders and lift your shoulders up to your ears, just slowly up and down. So you're really just coming back into your body because when we're distressed, we often tend to switch off from our body because we're trying to not feel what we're feeling. Or, You know, another thing that I often recommend to people is pressing your fingertips against each other. And you can do that all in one and just push and feel that pressure in your hands and focus on the fingertips or even breathing. Simple thing like breathe in to the count of five and out to the count of five. Sometimes people like to breathe in, hold for four or five, out four or five. It's all doing the same thing of just like bringing ourselves home to our own uh, body. And then the E stands for engage in what you're doing. So this is really around mindfulness and bringing us fully into, into the present, which we can't do if we're not in our body. So we have to do this after we've done the come back into your body. And these little strategies can be things like uh, looking around the room, just name slowly five different things. Or I might use my hearing and I focus on what are three or four things that I can hear right now. Distinct sounds, could be the sound of the light, could be the sounds of the birds outside. Or for some people, smell is really powerful. Whatever it is that you are doing, 
you are bringing yourself back and slowing down what's happening around you, allowing yourself to feel what it is that you're feeling. So you're really making space to allow yourself to feel and think, whether positive or negative. If you avoid the A, then it simply becomes a distraction exercise, and that is not the object of the exercise. So these kinds of strategies can be really good when you are feeling so overwhelmed that you can't really engage your mind in self-care because you're not really present, you're definitely not in your body. So of course you don't want to engage in self-care because self-care is around connection to yourself. Mm. So we've got a, yes. acknowledge your thoughts, C, come back to your body. And what does the E stand for, sorry? Engage, engage. in the present. Yes. Yeah. When you said come back to your body, I instantly, just a tiny shift, I kind of went, oh, yeah. I realized I was actually holding my breath because I'm concentrating, yes. listening to you so hard yes. that I'm like not breathing <laughs> properly. So, yeah. And I, that's so common, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. We do stop breathing. Yeah, it's weird, we isn't it? We actually do stop breathing or we shallow breathe. Yeah, yeah. And apparently a lot of adults shallow breathe. We do. We do. So I love to draw people's attention to the breath as a way of caring for self because it's pretty much invisible. So if you in the workplace, for example, or you're in a meeting, if you just very quietly shift your focus to your breath, of course, what it's doing is slowing down your physiological arousal. So when we're very aroused, we know that we can't think very clearly because we're having what they refer to as the amygdala hijack, where we feel threatened. We're not able to think the sort of logical adult part of our brain, which is our prefrontal cortex, is kind of shutting down. Breathing is such a quick way of reversing that. And nobody can see you doing this. You don't have to adopt a yoga pose or start meditating. You can simply use your breath in a really skillful way to come back into your body and then to figure out, what do I need to do right now? Which is why mindfulness practice is part of all addiction therapies. Because we know that people can't employ strategies to cope with addiction and they certainly can't when it comes to self-care if their stress levels are too too high and they just have checked out, which is what we do. Yeah. I guess what the pandemic has certainly taught me is about the importance of connection. It, it, you know, it's really highlighted how badly as social beings we need connection and how much at risk that is because people have become overwhelmed. So they lose connection with self. And then they lose connection with others. And it's really not a good pathway for the world. You know, now more than ever, spending time with people who you care about, who you can really feel a sense of connection with, is absolutely critical. And of course, when we're stressed, we do the opposite. Many people are not that good at asking for help, especially if you're used to caring for other people. It's definitely easier, isn't it, to care for someone else than <laughs> yes. to ask for help. Well, you don't see yourself as needing help. Mm. You see, I am a carer. So it comes back to our identity, mm. especially for nurses. That is their identity. Mm. It sort of kind of 
brings me back to the beginning of the conversation when I was talking about the importance of building in a habit of self-care as part of your identity. So not only am I a carer, but I also am able to care for myself because if I cannot treat myself with kindness and compassion, I will become depleted. Okay, well, hopefully everyone listening is feeling motivated to develop some good habits and self-care implementations. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us? What's maybe something practical that we could take away from this? I think that as the pandemic continues to unfold, and we know that we've got quite a long way to go with this, and so we're going, we are going to continue to encounter obstacles that threaten to deplete us or goals that we can't achieve, uh, things we can't do, holidays we can't go on, problems for which there really are no simple solutions. The one thing we really can do is to make that conscious choice to live our values of kindness and caring, even in the face of all those challenges. Russ Harris, who's very well known for all of the work that he's done on acceptance and commitment therapy, has actually come up with a series of questions that I would really invite everybody to reflect upon. These are the questions. What are kind, caring ways you can treat yourself as you go through this? What are kind words you can say to yourself, kind deeds you can do for yourself? What are kind ways you can treat others who are suffering? What are kind, caring ways of contributing to the well-being of your community? What can you say and do that will enable you to look back in years to come and feel proud of your response? And really critically, who can support you with this? So I would say, above all, stay connected Practice ACE as often as you need to and start somewhere really small with developing a self-care habit. Don't set yourself up for failure by taking a too big a bite of that. Just think about nudging closer to that self-care habit and just start with those one small daily thing and then build up so it really becomes part of who you are as a human being your sense of identity so that you're able to look in the mirror and say to yourself I'm someone who invests in self-care as part of who I am. Lovely thank you so much for those questions I really like the one about how would I look back on how I responded to this situation in the future? Yeah, what can you say and do that will enable you to look back in years to come and feel proud yeah. of your response? I feel like that would take you a little bit out of the situation and you could look at it a bit more objectively or from a bit more distance. Yeah, so. in, my, in my experience, it's the small things that really make the biggest difference. What are the small ways that we can contribute to making the world a better place and I think if every one of us did that wow what a difference it would make mm. Mm. thank you Jenny mm, thank you for uh, having me along 
Thank you so much to Jenny Hoffman for speaking with us today and to our producer, Leith Alexander. As you know, this episode is all about mental health and self-care. Those questions and reflections Jenny mentioned at the end are also available for you to download as a worksheet. Just head to today's show notes in this episode. Thank you so much once again for joining us for these two bonus episodes of the Nurse Australia podcast. I do hope that these were informative and that you're able to take away some new information and some practical tips. Something I took away from both interviews with Jenny and Mark is the concept that self-care is really not an option. That in fact, it's something we all need to be doing proactively, not reactively and retrospectively. This is something we should be doing on a daily basis. Thank you so much to APNA's Transition to Practice program for these episodes. You can find out more about TPP or Transition to Practice program at www.apna.asn.au forward slash education forward slash transition to practice. Simply by dropping them an email, transition to practice, that's T-O, at apna.asn.au, or of course, by calling 1300 303 184 within Australia. Thanks once again for listening to Nursing Australia. If you are listening right now on Apple or Google Podcasts, please don't forget to tap the subscribe button. And for Spotify listeners, click to follow and give us a positive rating no matter what platform you're listening on. Let's say five stars. That should be enough to get us over the line. The more you love us, the more you rate us, the easier it is for other nurses and healthcare professionals to find us and access the latest happenings in Australian primary healthcare and nursing. We'll see you shortly. Thanks for listening to Nursing Australia.